Hello. Hey, there it is. Okay. Um, I'm, I was just right there. So that's it. Um, Chris asked if I would be willing to share um, again this week. Um, and I was both thrilled and surprised. I uh, did this a couple of weeks. Wow. That's home team right there. That's, it hits close. Um, I was both surprised and I just could not wait. Um, man, the Lord has been working on my heart and I feel like it's working in our community. And also, um, we just need to hear from God. So I'm just happy to, that someone's doing it. <laughs> um, I, as with Chris, sometimes he'll ask you to do something and then that's kind of all you get. Um, and so I said, what do, what do you want me to talk about? And he said, well, just say something encouraging. And I was like, oh. Um, and I'm just not that guy a lot of the time. <laughs> but that's what I was learning. I don't know if it would really fit under that. Um, but I can tell you what I've been learning. Um, and, and hopefully it won't be needlessly provocative. Um, the world is nuts. It just really is. I think that was the preamble to the last time I talked. And then that, you know, years later we got done with that message. But it's not gotten any better. And uh, I'm sorry to say the encouragement for today is uh, it's not going to get a whole lot better, most likely. Um, so I hope you guys have a good day. <laughs> um, actually, uh, in, in some of my studies, I listen to some uh, much smarter people discuss things that I barely understand. And I feel like just like a, a child that wanders into like a boardroom meeting or something like that. I'm like, oh, okay. And there was some statements about the Sermon on the Mount, and it started about a month-long series uh, on that, and that being a series for me of me studying what this Sermon on the Mount actually says, and I've kind of come to some conclusions, and hopefully by the time that I'm done with this, there's the same amount of people in this room that there was when we started, although that's not always the goal of every sermon, as you see from Jesus, he lost like several thousand people in about 15 minutes. So maybe it could be that one too. Jesus also told the truth. And sometimes that actually isn't super fun. So let's go. If you have your Bibles or something with it on there, um, turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have one, this is actually a really good opportunity to get on Amazon. Or don't, I, don't even, I don't know if it's okay to say that now. Order one. If you want a Bible and you don't have one, we have one. We'll just give it to you. But also, it'll just appear magically behind me. There it is. <laughs> uh, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read a good amount. But don't worry. We're not actually reading the whole Sermon on the Mount. Because that is a, that's, it's a lot. We're going to start in verse 20. And we're going to talk about some of the ramifications and some of which... We'll be a little provocative, and theoretically, you'll be thinking about it for a while, and whether I am being heretical or whether it's actually good information. So, um, here we go. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Already, we're probably on the edge of our seats. Let's go. Verse 21. You have heard that it said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will liable to judgment. Let's back up. You have heard. What is he talking about? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Can you say that again? The Ten Commandments. Yes. 
So Jesus is saying, you've heard the Ten Commandments. And I'm asking you, have you heard the Ten Commandments? Where did they come from? God, exactly. There are two times where the law is given to Israel, and one of those times, God himself writes with his actual finger on stone. I have an ant with an engraving business, and I guarantee it would go way better if God was writing stuff on the stone. But God literally wrote the law, and he handed it to them. Jesus is saying right here, you've heard that said. He's establishing right now, we're dealing with something with heavy weight. You are familiar with this law. Have you ever heard, don't murder? I'm asking you. Thank you. One, this is a participatory kind of situation. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, stop there. What? I don't think we give this enough weight when we read this. Jesus is saying, God handed down to Moses, this is the law. And I'm saying this. This is the time where you immediately start having to make a decision about what you think about Jesus. A lot of these people were most likely at least nominal Jews, maybe just national Jews, but they were at least familiar with the concept that God or some deity had handed down that they should murder. Now, to add to something that God had said was one against the law, which is why the Pharisees and the scribes immediately hate Jesus. The rest of the even, like, just normal Jewish people would probably be on the edge of their seats. Their blood pressure would start to go up because they'd be like, wait a minute. The law says don't murder. But you're saying something else? And Jesus says, yes. In fact, he says that if you're angry with anyone, you'll be liable to judgment. If you insult your brother, and if you say you fool, you're liable to hell. Happy Sunday. Guys, this is scandalous stuff. I don't think we give that as much weight as we probably should. If somebody came in here and was just like, hey, if you even, if you're angry at anybody, like you've killed them. Jesus is saying like, you've heard don't kill them, but I'm saying that you've already done it. And I think when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we still think of this as good news. I've actually heard preachers say, this is the gospel. This is not the gospel, this is law. We're going to look at a little bit more. It says, you've heard it said. Again, where does that come from, Josh? The Ten Commandments. You should not commit adultery. That's one of the big ten. You should not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed in it. Oh. I'm not as angry, but is that one getting you? At this point, you're getting very uncomfortable. Now, we're on a mountain right now, so the exits are everywhere, mostly down. But you're probably starting to think, like, we've got to do something with Jesus. If somebody starts saying, you've heard God say this, but I say this, you're building on a law that you don't have the right to do that. Jesus is actually saying to them, this is what the law says, and I want to show you how deep it goes. When we learn in John chapter 1 that he is the word made flesh, he is actually the agent by which the Father creates all things. He is the authority. Jesus says the law says don't murder, but in your heart you still can't murder them. Guys, last time when I started I talked about traffic. That'll really sort out where you are in your heart. If you're sitting in traffic and you're not saying that you fool, but you're saying other words, that's probably about it. Now, the next things that we deal with are 
These are all fun. Divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemy. These are not necessarily all even part of the Ten Commandments, but it's part of the Mosaic Code. These are all things that they know and are very intimate with. And he's saying, like, no, 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 no. You hadn't even started. What Jesus is actually saying is that the heart of the issue is not what your hands have done, but when your mind and your heart are entertaining. He's actually, I think, saying the root of your tree is sick. And guys, that's terrible. If we, have, if we hear people preaching like this, like this is the good news, like this is the key to everything, then we've actually just established another legalism and that we cannot bear. Now, we love law because it gives us the ability to know where we stand. It gives us a clear expectation. It gives us trails to run on. And in fact, what we learn in the epistles that the law was given so that we would know that we are in fact evil. And I believe that's actually what Jesus is doing here. I know that this passage is not the good news because, Miguel, this is your cue for verse 48. Anybody? If I had a mic to drop, this would be the time that Jesus would do it. If you feel like you've done all the rest of it, just be perfect. That's the standard. Guys, anybody done all that? Anybody? If you've done half of it, I'd like to hear from you. If you made it through one of those and you felt good about it. I know that we're uncomfortable right now. Right now. And it's not just because I'm not great at speaking. But the deal is all of our hearts know that this is true. In fact, since Genesis chapter 3, this has been the problem with our hearts. And the problem is not that we make bad decisions. It's because we're bad in our core. And man... In this new theology, we don't love that. We love that we have character defects. We love that we have tendencies. We don't love that our whole eye is evil. We feel like we can make the right decision if we're just given the opportunity, right? If life wasn't hard or if that guy wasn't an awful driver, I wouldn't be cursing him under my breath or over my breath or showing him sign language that I learned. If he wasn't that way, I wouldn't have to be this way. If that girl didn't wear those clothes, I wouldn't stare at her. If I hadn't just married the wrong person, all of these things are in here. Yes? In Genesis chapter 3, we refer to this as the fall of man. It is a wildly unpopular thing. But I think this is where we need to start. In the fall of man, we see two people who exist in perfect communion with each other and with God. It is amazing. We even have uh, proof in Genesis chapter 2 that God doesn't like when it's hot outside because he walks with them in the cool of the day. But we see this serpent come in and he tells Eve something that we tell ourselves all the time. And it's that God doesn't want you to do that because if he knows that if you do, then you'll have the ability to be like him and you can make the decision. See, the problem with sin is not necessarily that we're doing something wrong. The problem is the heart of the sin and that we believe that we can make that decision because we know better. Does that ring with anybody? I heard one, mm, and I love that. We grew up Baptist. You, there was a whole row of them, and I like that. 
Ravi Zacharias in his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, says, When Adam and Eve questioned the authority of God, the allurement placed before them was that they could become as God, defining good and evil for themselves. What the tempter did not tell them was that good and evil, as defined by God, are rooted in his character. And there is nothing contradictory in God. See, what makes God God is not the fact that he gets to decide those things. He gets to decide those things because he is God. If we flip him around, we get frustrated with him. But you can't be God. If he lets you make the decision, you will not make it correctly. And that's because God is not constrained by a human body. He's not constrained by time. He's not constrained by any of the limitations that even us in our craziest, wildest dreams have. And that is the least of what he is. He's not affected by human emotions. He doesn't wake up in a bad mood. He's not shocked by things. The reason he can make the right decision is because he knows how it will affect everything and everyone for all time and effectively for his glory, and it will be done. When we try to make that decision, we tell God, no, I've got it. And if you have a child, that's what they do. Hey, man, let me show you how to do that. I got it. And when you have a five-year-old tell you that, it is irritating. Because you're like, it's gonna, you're going to hurt. I got it. You're going to hurt your uh-uh. Now, what we do with Jesus a lot of times is we take what he said and we say, I can do it. And again, you can't. Guys, how's that working? Is it working? It isn't working. Guys, we believe that we can do it. For some reason, it, so far it hasn't. My track record says I'm not going to do it right. In fact, there's an illustration that comes in Matthew 19. You don't have to turn there, but everyone will be familiar with it if you've heard any part of the Bible, I'm certain. There's this situation where this guy comes to Jesus. Let's say he's rich and he's young and he rules. You know what I'm saying? Rich young ruler. It'll say it. There's this young man who comes to Jesus. He's basically got everything going for him. And he says, hey, teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus has got everything going on. Clearly, there's something about him. He even calls him good. And Jesus says, like, you can't call me good. Only God is good. And still the guy decides he wants to have this conversation. Do you realize how funny that would be? You cannot strut into the presence of God. And this guy is like, hey... What's up? What, do I need to, what else do I need to do? And Jesus says that you have to obey the law. He says, there is only one who is good, and if you would inter- inherit eternal life, you must obey the commandments. He said, which ones? <laughs> now, there's some funny parts to this, because that question is just right. I mean, you're right out at this point. <laughs> which? Oh, hey. I thought I'd been doing pretty good. What are you talking about? Now, there are two things I want to point out. One is that they say that the entirety of the law is summed up in these two things. To love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. Right? What's the other part of that? Josh, I've had enough of you. I need some of the other people to answer. Thank you. It's time for this side. He says... You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and 
You shall love your neighbor. And the young man says, all of us have done it. Guys, the swagger on this guy is incredible. And he said, uh, well, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell all you have, give it to those who are in need. And you're good. Now, do you think that's really what he meant by that? Guys, if we look at what the sole purpose of the law is, is that we would see that we can't do it right and we cannot hold anything above God. I think the first three commandments, if we don't get those three, we won't get the other seven. I think that makes 10. If we love something more than we love God, we will not love our neighbor. If we have anything above his name, if we use his name as a way to manipulate people and we do not actually honor him with our hearts, we will never love our neighbor. This portion of this text is actually not about money and it shouldn't be taught that way. This text is about idolatry. This man loves his money more than he loves God and he proved it to Jesus by saying, I've got it together, what else do I need to do? And Jesus is like, you just walked past all these people who are begging for money and your pockets are jingling. And you showed no compassion on them whatsoever. And the fact that you just turned tail and left told me that you don't care about what I say anyway. Guys, if we try to treat, ter- sorry, if we try to clean up our own lives, it's like trying to ask a toddler to clean their room. A lot of us in here are parents or you are around kids a lot, but that is a delight. I have these two and they are amazing but they are terrible cleaning people. Their rooms will be a disaster area. And I'll be like, hey, we're going to go outside. I know you want to do that more than life itself, but if you could clean even just a path through your room, I will, I will buy you a pony. <laughs> and you say, I'm going to be up in a few minutes. Let's see what happens. And you go up there, and they're sitting in the middle of the floor. There's barely even a spot for them to sit in. And God help them, the room looks worse. Guys, this is us presenting ourselves to God. Hey, I did it. What else do I need to do? He wants a pat on the back. He wants a gold star. The Bible says that our heart is deceptively wicked, despite what the Disney Channel says. We don't just follow our hearts. Our hearts do not even long for any righteousness at all. And Jesus in these things saying that like, hey, your hands somehow may not have done these things but it's actually what's inside of your own heart. There's a theologian, Dr. Michael Horton. He's a professor of theology and systematic whatever at Westminster. And he says, my heart has committed sins that my hands just haven't gotten around to yet. If we really want to see the crux of this issue, can we turn to that uh, Philippians verse? If you, uh, I meant to tell you to uh, mark this in your Bible, but um, actually it's Colossians. That's why it's a challenge. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. This, I believe, is actually what Jesus is getting at. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I heard somebody break this down for me like a couple years ago. And when I started reading what Jesus said, I just said, oh, that's it. Guys, the problem is not that we make bad decisions. The problem is that we're broken. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And no matter what we do to fix it, we're not going to get ourselves out of that hole. 
We need redemption. What happens in this passage right here where Paul breaks this down is he's actually showing the way that this typically goes. This, I think it's called a flow chart if you teach. Natalie, is that true? Flow chart. It's this. We'll turn into this. We'll turn into this. We can see this in a couple of things right here. If you are alienated, that is, you feel like you are cut off, like no one understands you, like your cause is not being represented, does that sound like something we can think about right now? Did anybody vote? Do you feel like that went well? When you don't feel like you're getting your way or people don't understand you or your love is not being reciprocated, it leads to the second part. You're hostile in your mind. When you feel like someone cut you off or you feel like you have reached out to your spouse and they are not responding, do you think of them in a sweet way? Oh, I'm so glad they did that. When your sports team loses and you feel like just if the refs would have just been looking, you get irritated. The way that we respond to, bless you, the way that you respond to all of these things is the last part. You do evil. So let's walk through this. You feel like your case is not being heard. You feel like they're not loving you the way that you want. And then you turn into plotting and thinking about how to get revenge, how to get gratification, how to get even, how to actually make your voice heard, and you riot. You scream at a guy in traffic. You look at pornography. You start talking to a girl that you used to talk to before you talk to the girl you're talking to now. I'm surprised I got through that one. (laughs) Guys, what is in our heart and how we are cut off from God? Because we feel like we had something, and if only we could get it back, then we start thinking of ways to get that. And what Jesus is saying is you can't get there on your own. In fact, if you've done all these things, even if you're thinking about them in your heart, then you're guilty of breaking the law. It says in the epistles that if you've broken one part of the law, then you've broken the entire thing. And none of us stand here with our hands clean. What we need is a savior. There is a lot of talk right now about who Jesus is and how he relates to our country. God doesn't prefer us to anybody else. God, we're not God's favorite. I just want to say that like as a country, like we're just not. He's not flying our flag in heaven. He flies his flag in heaven. And he does love you, but he does not love sin. And he, in fact, hates sin so much that he sent his son to die. And if he did not do that, and we do not see his sacrifice, then we are more lost than we think we are. Miguel, can we zoom out on that passage? What we're going to do now, if you actually do have this Bible, please mark it down. This is Colossians. This is chapter 1, and this is verses 15 through 22. This is what I think everyone needs to see. If you're seeing something that leads you to feeling like, well, now all is lost. If you feel like you've spent so much of your life just trying to make sure that everything was in line so that you were right with God and then you could get going. Or if you felt like you've got everything all together already. If you're strutting into the presence of the Lord. We need to see Jesus more rightly. A lot of us, even in the church, talk about Jesus like he's the substitute teacher. Like he's the nice one. Does that make sense? 
He's not God like he was before, like he is. And we're going to learn about it in this passage right here. We're going to read this, and we're actually circling the runway. Believe it or not, we're almost there. This is who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. All things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by his own blood on the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, and you were doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. He did it in his body, by the, his own flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Guys, he did that for you. He saw the debt. He saw how hopeless we were to save ourselves and he did it for us. Now, if we go back through the teachings of Jesus, we take them seriously in a different right. Not that we would qualify ourselves that he would love us or care that we would do something, but because it pleases him. J.I. Packer in his book, (coughs) sorry, Knowing God, says that we submit to his rule and we pursue holiness because love begets love. If you love someone, you tend to do things that you know will please them. The reason that we use violence against our own spirits in the way that Paul would say, I beat my flesh, that I put to death my deeds by the spirit is because he knows what it costs. We take our sin seriously because he takes it seriously. There is so many feel-good doctrines about, well, God isn't that way and he doesn't feel that way. But as Packer actually says in this book, that people have gotten in the habit of following private religious hunches instead of following God's own word. And we must help them unlearn to live by what they feel and live by the truth. Guys, the gospel is that we are not nailing it. The gospel is not that we're going to get it if only we have a little bit more time. The gospel is that we are helpless to do it at all. And God came that we would have life in him. There are people that I encounter all the time who are churched people who say they read the Bible and they believe and they trust in him, but there are a lot about it that they don't like and they feel like God has changed his mind. And guys, I want to just caution you against that. 
That is a scary way to be. If we cannot trust what God said, then he is not God. And I want to just push it a step further that if this is not true, then what we're doing right now is a waste of time. This is a terrible hobby. Paul actually says, if this is not true, then we are to be pitied more than anyone. Guys, this isn't just a way to be better. The standards that Jesus set is not good, right? If you go to a teacher and you want to learn, look, we've been watching the Bob Ross channel a bunch. If you go to a teacher and you want to learn to be good at something, and he starts off by saying, paint a masterpiece, and you go, I don't know how, and he goes, well, you can't. You go, what am I doing? Jesus' point here was not to teach you to do enough to be okay. He was actually doing a litmus test to show you that you wouldn't be able to do it. And that's why when he lays down hard cheese, like, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. These are not words of fun people that are just relaxed about stuff. This is a man who is serious about holiness. There is a word that has become kind of a, a word that we ignore or we kind of scoff at, and that is piety. And I tell you this, God takes our holiness very seriously, and we should as well. We should really take confession to heart because it matters to God. And we don't do it so that we can be okay. We do it so that we can know him better. If we look back through the Sermon on the Mount and we see don't be angry with people, do not look with lust upon them, do not take an oath above your head, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and while you give to the poor, do it with this heart, is because while we have this renewed mind of Christ, we actually see people rightly. When we give to others, Jesus takes for granted that people who follow him actually would give to others. And that's because their minds are actually not on themselves. It's that God sees us in our helpless estate. He sees us in the poorness of our nature and our spirit. And in his generosity, he gives out of that abundance. He says, don't just not commit adultery, but don't do it in your heart because that person was created in the image of God just like you. That person, if they are seeking anything, need justification in the same way that you did. That person that you're lusting after also needs a savior. If they are in Christ, then they are your sister and you don't look at your sister that way. You don't take vengeance into your own hands because your hands are not clean. But you know that God and his perfection sees the ramifications of every decision and is currently having mercy on them. And it's not up to you to execute justice. Guys, if we see that Christ comes to turn our lives upside down, that we would hold value in a different way, then we read this with different eyes. If you've never seen this, if you've never savored Christ this way or been challenged by his words, I, want, I would love to talk to you. I don't actually, I don't think I have anywhere to be today. If you've never trusted Christ for your actual salvation, if you've never trusted in him as savior and ruler of your life, not just as a teacher. We don't need a teacher. We need redemption. If you don't know him as redemption, I want to talk to you. 
I am fervently praying that lives would be changed in this church and that people come with no concept of what it is to be a Christian because this can't just stay in here. This isn't a hobby. If we really believe Jesus is who he says he is, then this has to leave this room. We're gonna come to communion. I would just really invite everyone.